This is the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent others, other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding bank. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him, hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The assembly may be seated. Grace. And peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As a pastor, I've been privileged with the opportunity to attend many a wedding in my day. I'm asked to preside over weddings with relative frequency, and I think I figured out why people want me to be there for their big day. Because I look really, really good, blurred out in the background of the photo. I mean, I really, my dad always said, Zach, you have a face to be blurred, and boy, oh boy, do I believe my dad was right. And I've been to all kinds of different weddings over the years, some with a few people, some weddings with a few hundred. I, I've been to weddings in churches and, and weddings at country clubs. I've seen weddings that have flower girls and flower grandmas. Yes, flower grandmas, they are here to stay. That, you see, is a big part of it. And one of the biggest parts of a wedding, then, is the attire, right? How is it that I am, am to dress for the occasion? And it's a, it's a question for everybody. It, it's a question for, for the couple. It's a question for those standing. It's a, it's a question for all the guests. In fact, Nordstrom.com has listed 10 different types of wedding attire that one should be aware of before choosing their attire. And it ranges in, in everything from business casual style weddings to, to formal weddings to white tie to beach and everything in between. And don't you dare make the wrong choice. But here's the cool thing. As a pastor, never once have I worried about what I'm going to wear to a wedding. Right? That's the best part. Pop on a collar, a pair of sneakers, you're good to go. That is how I get ready for a wedding. In fact, the second wedding I ever did at the rehearsal dinner the, the night before the ceremony, I was given a gift by the couple. This is something some couples do. And I said, should I wait or should I open it? I said, no, you got to open it on him. And I opened it up, and it was a pair of sparkly gold converse. And they asked, Pastor, 
could you wear those shoes for the ceremony tomorrow? And he said, yes, it's going to cost you extra, but of course, I'll wear whatever you want. So I wore the shoes to the ceremony, and about a month later, I saw the couple at church, and you know, they were in that sort of blissful newlywed phase, and, and, and the bride came up to me after the service, and she said, you know, Pastor, i got to tell you something. This last week, we got some of our initial proofs from the, the photographer, and we noticed something. There were more pictures of your feet than they were of me, the bride. <laughs> And that's a bit of a problem, not for me, of course, I love it. So the, the point is, what we wear says a lot about who we are, particularly in the case of a wedding and a wedding banquet, is at the center of our parable today. Jesus tells us the third parable in a row in response to this sort of challenge by the Pharisees of, by what authority are you doing these things? So Jesus has been telling these parables, and today it's a parable of a wedding banquet, replete with, with a king and an, an open invitation, as well as an interesting uh, wardrobe choice, as it were. And here it ends with maybe one of the most ridiculous sort of churchy things possible, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. But we'll get there. Before we get there, we have to understand what the people are wearing, but before we understand what the people are wearing, we have to understand who the people are. The king is throwing this wedding banquet for his son, and the guest list is full of the elite, the best of the best, the people that you want to be seen with in public. And the invite goes out, the slaves go out, and they call upon people and say, please come to our master's son's wedding. And people RSVP, no. So the king realizes, I know where I went wrong. I didn't tell him what was on the menu, right? If they knew it was a fatty cat, if they knew we were gonna have one of those chocolate fountains for dessert, maybe they'll show up, right? So they go back out with this information, and again, People are RSVPing. No, but now, not only are they just ignoring the RSVP, some people said, I'd rather go to work than go to your wedding. Literally, I want to go back to my business. I want to go back to the fields than go to your wedding. But it's even worse. Other people respond with violence. We're told they lash out at these messengers and kill them, at which point the king responds in turn. The king does the same thing back. He punishes those that killed his slaves. And now the city is literally on fire, but dinner's ready, right? And he paid $100 a plate, and we got food, so we better fill the place, right? So he sends the slaves back out, and the slaves go back out into the community, and they're told to invite everybody. And that's what they do. They invite everybody, even, we're told, even the good, and the bad. And that's kind of a shocking thing here. It's a radical shift, right? It went from the elite to now any and all people are invited, which again is unique because this is a status event, right? We're establishing for ourselves our place in the community, our status among our peers. And now everyone is going to be invited. Now it's also important that we realize that a wedding banquet is a very common image for the kingdom of heaven. 
Jesus said at the beginning of this parable. Jesus' first sign performed in John's Gospel, you guessed it, at a wedding feast, right? Where he turns water into wine. Unfortunately, I missed that day of seminary and never learned how to do it. But it's important that this is a central image. It's a central image in our first reading today, our reading from Isaiah, a, a wedding feast where all people are gathered, where the, the Lord removes the shroud that covers all people, that swallows up death forever and wipes away all tears. A, a prophetic image of a divine banquet that invites all to experience the glory of God. But that's of course, the challenge, you see, prophets, prophets have the job of being divine truth tellers. Prophets are tasked with going into the world and sharing God's truth. And for some people, that truth may sound like gospel, right, like good news. For other people, it may sound like judgment. And for some of us, it sounds like a little bit of both. And as it turns out, Sometimes when the prophets spoke God's truth, they were ignored. Other times when they spoke God's truth, they were met with violence. You see, you've ever heard that happening before with an invitation to hear something, right? This is how things have gone throughout history. But what's interesting is that when God's truth is ignored or when God's prophets are killed, God doesn't just give up. No, no, God sends more prophets. God continues to send people into the world so that the world may know God's truth, God's grace, and God's mercy. And then God also expands the invitation. No longer is it just the chosen people of Israel. Now all people, good and bad, Greek, Gentile, or Jew, are all pulled in to God's narrative, to God's mercy, and to God's glory. And that is really, really, really important. Just like what we wear to the party is really, really, really important, which gets us back into the narrative. So now, the party has started, everybody's there, and the king notices from across the room there's a guy not wearing his wedding robe. I'm assuming he had clothes on, but he didn't have the wedding robe on. And the king pulls him aside and says, how did you get past the bouncer? Right? How did you get into the party without the robe on? Now, what you have to understand is first century Galilean weddings, I've never been to one, I hear they were lovely, but in those weddings, it was privilege of the host, so we're talking the king or the groom or both, to provide a wedding garment for each guest upon arrival. And this served a dual purpose. On the one hand, it created equality among all people. All people, because they're wearing the same garment, are considered equal, which then highlights the couple, right? Highlights the, the bride and the groom who are trying to show their social status. You don't want a, a guest gold sneakers to get in the way, right? So everyone wears the same thing. And on the other end of it, it also serves as a sort of agreement to the terms and conditions. By accepting the robe, you're accepting the invitation and everything that comes with it. You agree to play by the social norms, by the standards of the setting. So, this guy is in there, does not have his robe. 
So again, he's pulled aside a question, and he has no response. The king doesn't like this. So what does the king do? He calls his servants. They bind the man up, hand him the feet, send him to the outer darkness, and yes, we get ourselves some weeping and gnashing of teeth. This seems really harsh, but I want to take a step back, right? First, I want to remind you, this man is not a wedding crasher. He was invited. He was on the guest list, right? Everyone's welcome here, including him. And it's not that this man couldn't afford the robe. No. It's not that he forgot his robe at home. No. It's not that it's sitting at the cleaners and he just got busy buying a gift. No. Everything was there. And all he had to do was accept the invitation. All he had to do was put on the robe and he chooses not to wear it. Which then brings us to the last line in our gospel, our little object lesson that Jesus gives us, where he says, for many are called, many are invited, but few are chosen. All of us are invited to share in God's grace, God's mercy, and God's forgiveness. All of us. And we do it every time we gather here at this very feast. And if we accept God's grace, and if we accept God's mercy, we are putting on Christ, as Paul would say. And we're choosing to live as God's chosen people, living a life of grace and mercy and service to our neighbors, to those with whom we are in community with. And this gift of grace is not earned. Remember, good or bad doesn't matter. You get a place. It does not matter. What matters is we choose to accept the invitation because a gift must be received in order to be realized. And if we receive that gift, we live in communion and community with one another. And if we don't, we find ourselves outside of that community. And that's where this man finds himself. But what I like about this is that at the end, I think there's opportunity for this man to come back, to change his mind, to say, maybe, you know what, I do want to put on the road. I do want to be a part of your community. I now choose to accept your invitation. I choose to put on that which has been off. Today is all about choosing to accept an invitation extended to us, to choose say yes to life, and dare I say life eternal. As I mentioned during the announcements, this last week, I had the privilege of sitting alongside of a very beloved friend and member of our community in her final days. And daily, we would get together, and we'd sit in her living room, and Nan and I and her kids would just talk, right? We'd talk about life, we'd talk about the church, we talk about, you know, the jello we wanted at the funeral lunch and all the important things, right? Getting our affairs in order. And one of the last times I had a chance to really go back and forth to have this conversation with this individual, I asked her this simple question. I said, if you could have one thing right now, what would it be? Because you see, we're in that place in her, in her journey, in her lifespan, where she was being given essentially whatever she wanted, right? She's at that point where dietary restrictions no longer matter, and medications could be administered. 
And her answer was quick, and it was swift, and it was honest. She said, peace. Want peace. Wasn't what I expected. But it was interesting. Because then we talked about it, and I followed up by saying, well, do you feel peaceful? She said, yeah. And I said, why do you feel peaceful? And, and I knew that before I even asked the question, it's because, because I know that God loves me. Because I know what lies ahead. See, in that moment, facing down death itself, this individual was living into the reality of having put on Christ in this life, was exemplifying that very thing, to take on that mantle and to live a life that trusts in God, a, a God who goes to the extent of destroying death itself, of coming and wiping away the very tears from our face that we no longer weep or cry or mourn because death itself has been defeated. What a powerful reminder. What a powerful testament to what that looks like. In that moment, to see and to know and to express God's peace, even in that space. That's what it means. That's what this looks like. That's what putting on Christ is. And it doesn't mean we don't struggle. And it doesn't mean our lives don't have ups and downs. And it doesn't mean that, that, that we're good or bad people. It means that in Christ, none of it matters. What matters is that we trust what Christ has done for us and what Christ continues to do for us. So I give thanks to her faithful witness and all the saints who gather around us each time we are at this banquet feast as we are surrounded with the saints of all times and all places to celebrate one thing and one thing alone, God's glory, God's grace, God's peace, us, the world around us. Thanks be to God for all who put on Christ and live lives worthy of that mantle. Amen.